If I could sum up everything I've learned from battling depression and anxiety for years, it would boil down to one thing. You are not alone. You see, so many of us are tormented by the insane idea that we're separate, disconnected beings, suffering all by our little lonesome selves. And I say this from experience. Then I began to open up and share my story. And voila, people showed up to tell me they were struggling too, or even more inspiring, that they had once struggled and since triumphed over their struggle. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, that's why it's important to open up and share your story. Which is why I'm proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is here to help you. They offer licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your own convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. From there, you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can also request a new therapist at no additional charge, anytime. So don't wait. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month today at betterhelp.com ddbn. That's betterhelp.com ddbn. Someone once asked me, doesn't everyone who has a mental illness want to die at some point? With a puzzled look on my face, I answered, life and the brain don't work that way. Suicide is never the result of one cause, rather a combination of risk factors coming together, often in the context of stress and with access to lethal means. And while most people who die by suicide have a potentially diagnosable and treatable mental health condition, most people with a mental health condition do not die by suicide. I'm your host, JD, and this is What's Your Story. Treading water, sinking father, screaming out I'm going
Well, thanks so much for inviting me to be a guest. Um, yeah, so, hello, listeners. My name is Joel Kaskinen. I use he, him, his pronouns. I am a young professional living in South Dakota currently, but I have lived all over the place, and I am just a fellow friend trying to make things work and function in the hell that is the world that we live in. What we live in. I mean, there's, those are facts. They really are. Yes. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in northern Michigan, um, moved to South Dakota, moved from here to Colorado, did a whole bunch of things. I have done work in um, education. I've done work in communications and public relations slash social media. I've done some work in the nonprofit world. And currently my work revolves around suicide prevention and mental health education. So yeah, I've kind of been all over the place, but uh, I have landed back in South Dakota because I experienced a great um, deal of trauma and pain during the pandemic when the world was shut down and I wanted to be closer to friends and family. So rather than a 32 hour drive approximately from Colorado to my hometown in Michigan, it is now a 12 hour drive and I am living in a home with my um, dear, dear friends from grad school. So I am in a much better place now. Yeah. But Many mental health problems tend to emerge in adolescence, and young people in this group are particularly vulnerable to social isolation. During the early months of the pandemic, there may have been some sense of common purpose, a kind of spirit that could increase people's resilience after a disaster. In a research letter published on the JMA network, researchers compared internet searches related to suicide during the two months before and four months after March of 2020 when the United States declared a national pandemic emergency. Searches using the term suicide went down significantly in the 18 weeks after the emergency was declared, compared with what was predicted. In a new study in the Journal of Pediatrics, researchers looked at the results of more than 9,000 suicide screenings that had been performed on 11 to 21-year-olds who had visited a pediatric emergency department in Texas. Everyone coming in for any reason was asked to complete a questionnaire which asked, among other things, about suicidal thoughts or suicide attempts in the recent past. Researchers compared the responses from the first seven months of 2019 with those from the same months in 2020. What they wanted to see was if there was evidence of more suicide-related thoughts and behaviors between March and July of 2020 as the pandemic took hold. Ryan Hill, an assistant professor of pediatrics at Baylor College, who was first author on the study, said that his team expected that while in January and February the pandemic would not have been on people's minds, we expected to, quote, see some differences later, and we did see some. They were not consistent. If you worry that your team might be experiencing depression or suicidal thoughts, there are a few things you can do to help. First of all, Look for changes. Notice shifts in sleeping and eating habits in your teen, as well as any issues he or she might be having at school, such as slipping grades. Watch for angry outbursts, mood swings, and a loss of interest in activities they used to love. Stay attuned to their social media posts as well. 
keep those lines of communication open. If you notice something unusual, start a conversation. Your child might not want to talk. So in that case, offer him or her help in finding a trusted person to share their struggles with instead. And sometimes that means seeking out professional support. A child who expresses suicidal thoughts may benefit from a mental health evaluation and treatment. And you can start simply by speaking with your child's pediatrician or a mental health professional. My introduction to mental health, mental illness, um, I would say probably without knowing that I was introduced to it, without having the language to understand what was going on, I would say when I was about 12 or 13, I really started experiencing anxiety and depression. Um, my grandmother uh, passed away um, when I was in middle school. So that's why I'm saying that 12, 13 age, because I'm not yeah. entirely well, in my sure. head. The, I don't, the, the I don't former, remember. Former middle school teacher in my head. I'm like, nope, that's worst possible time in your life anyway. Because exactly. um, so much is changing. Um, so you're you're not alone. And whether we have a name for it or not, like that's, yeah, that's what happens for sure. Yeah. So that was my kind of introduction was um, my grandmother passing and um, I lived like five minutes from my grandma. She watched us a lot of times when mom and dad were at work or, you know, if there was evening functions that we as kids could not go to, we were at grandma and grandpa's and we were there on weekends and we went to the same church as them and they were at all of our sporting events and all of that jazz. So um, very, very close to my grandmother. I would say um, this was the first time that I had experienced loss and it was the first time I'd experienced death. And at 12, 13 years old, I did not know yeah. how to process that. At all, right, understand yeah. That. Um, and I think I have always been not I think, I know. I've always been an empath. I've always been someone who can feel energies very strongly. I've always been someone who has been very in touch with emotions and feelings. Um, I have always been able to like have this emotional connection to other people in a way that most people do not. Um, and so I think that I knew what was going on way earlier than way earlier. what I actually could con conceptualize it. Um, and so I think that I knew that she was sick for a long time and internally I was just like fighting this. Um, so yeah. when she passed, I really sank into some depression and really started developing signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety. Um, but again, I didn't have that language and I grew up in the Midwest in rural Northern Michigan, where we don't talk about mental yeah. health. We don't talk <laughs> about illness. We, you know, that was just not a thing. You take your problems to church and to the Lord and you pray about it and you get back and get back you in, pull yeah. yourself up by the bootstraps and you go inside and you do your work and you put your nose back down and you don't think about it because there's other people in the world who have much more going much more, on. Yeah. So I, yeah, I didn't have that like language or understanding. Um, but I would say that was kind of my introduction was like 12, 13 years old. So then transitioning into like college age is kind of really when I would say that like my life sort of turned and I started realizing like, oh, mental health is a thing. Kind of a thing. Um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a thing. Um, so I really started exhibiting some anxiety and depression in college. Um, we 
obviously it's another turning point in your life where there's like big yeah. things happening. You're a young adult, you're independent. I, you know, was trying to navigate the system of education that I didn't understand. Um, being a first generation college student, I, you know, didn't have that system of support in place yeah. of familial networks or, you know, family members and like just the guidance of understanding college. And so I navigated a lot of that on my own, which caused anxiety and, you know, stressors. Um, I was working three jobs at one point just to like make my payments and to, you know, pay tuition and to survive and have gas money and all of that jazz. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that was really like when things started to take off for me was having anxiety and depression in college. Um, things were much different at that point in my life. Um, and that's really when I would say that things started to become a challenge. I'm now at this point where I can operate as an adult. I can understand the world around me. I can view things through a different lens than what has been told to me forever. And now that carries a new weight with it. Sure. Um, as a parent, you have to think different about the ways adolescents might respond to, to stress compared to us as adults. Perhaps they're withdrawing and sleeping more, eating more or less, or trying drugs, alcohol, or tobacco. Parents can encourage their teenagers to get out of the house so they can spend time outside with friends. Social interaction is important, whether that's exercise or drawing or hiking or taking the dog for a walk. Kids take cues from their parents. So adults, you should do those things as well. It's also important to make sure that your own mental health is taken care of before you jump in and start checking in on your kids' mental health. Find moments to relax and laugh and make sure to talk about how you're maintaining your own wellness and resilience so that you can acknowledge and model the importance of those coping strategies for your kids. Checking in with your kids might also give them an opportunity to open up, which for many families is something that they used to do in the car. Our children will feel loved and cared for if we're practicing that kind of dialogue. So do not shy away from asking the deeper, harder questions. Being curious about your teenager's world, asking things like, how is that situation at school affecting you and your friends, can mean the world to them because you might be the only person asking that question because it's probably not gonna happen within themselves if it's and so I think that in college, I really started to explore like who I am, what are my beliefs? What are my core values? What are my sexualities? What are my, you know, how do I interact as a human in the world? Yeah. How do I show up and how do I interact with other people? And that caused some like great stress for me just sure. trying to navigate because I turned away from the church and I distanced myself from my family for a long time and I started exploring sexually and with drugs and alcohol and other things. And so it was like, oh, like I can experiment. I can figure yeah. out who I am, but I'm also like stuck with this narrative that I've always been always told had. Yeah. and how do I move past that? And so that like, there was this cognitive dissonance going on in my brain and in my mind that I was like, okay, I'm healthy, I'm well, I'm doing the thing. But at the same time, it was like, I was so anxious all yeah. the time. Um, and then that became exacerbated when I moved away um, to grad school. And at this point now I'm graduated with a under a bachelor's degree i have my undergraduate um under my belt and i have years now of living on my own under my belt and i have to make ends meet and yeah. 
be an adult, adult and right. navigate <laughs> moving to a new state and moving to a new city and working. Yeah. And um, all through this time, I'm you know still trying to figure out who I am, but I'm also you know developing more and more like anxiety it's piling on depression yeah. and there has been now at this point multiple losses um i've lost family members i've lost friends there's been students of mine that have passed you know i have experienced it all um and that really like the connection to death really caused a great deal of depression yeah. for me so that's really um, kind of moving into like the big challenges that I have with mental health now um, and where I'm at in my journey today is really kind of coming out of from grad school to yeah. now. Um, so I preluded to this earlier. I worked in education in Colorado for quite a few years. And during the pandemic, um, I faced some great trauma and some great losses. Uh, that made me really question a lot of things about my own well-being. Um, so within one year's time, so October, June, or July, excuse me, and October, uh, within one year's time frame, three of my students died by suicide. Yeah. And I had a very close relationship to all three yeah. Um, yeah. students. So one was living across the hall for me in the building that I lived in. One was in the class that I taught, and I was actually the first responder to the third one. Um, so I was very intimately and very, I don't know even what like word to use, but I was very like dramatically thrown into this world sure. of suicide very quickly because students who I knew and lived with and worked with and saw every day went from being literally living next door to me to gone. To gone. Sitting in the classroom across from me to gone. And I was sitting next to, I was walking in front of, to gone. Mm -hmm. And that really shifted a lot for me. Um, and so when you go through trauma of loss and you go through trauma specifically of suicide, and in my case, specifically of suicide of students, who you live and work with who are younger yeah. who have so much life to give still and so much world to see that really changed the chemistry in my brain yeah. and made me think well if they can do it why can't i and also if the world is so bad for people that are living so close to me and who are experiencing the same things to me as me why am I still here? Yeah. And I almost like fell into this like survivor guilt, if you will, of like, I, it should be me. Like I want, how do I take their place? Like, yeah, I'm well, 26, yeah. 27, 28, you know, at the time. And these students who are 18 to 22, I was just going to ask like, what, what age were we talking? Not that it make changes like young, young, it's too young, but like yes, where, where are yes. we at? Um, mm -hmm. so thank you for, for yeah, sharing 18 that to 22. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was like, how come I can't take their place or, you know, whatever. So then I started experiencing my own kind of suicidal ideations. Um, I never acted on it. I never self-harmed, but, uh, there was this one moment distinctly where I just, I remember I got out of bed after not being able to leave bed for weeks because I was so upset. I was so depressed and I got out of bed and I said, I'm going to take a drive. 
and I drove like 40 minutes away from my home and there's a mountain pass there. And I literally just remembered thinking like how easy it would be for me to just drive over the edge and end it. And for me, it was the thought process of, I want to feel what my three students were feeling because I couldn't be there to help them. And again, as an empath, it's like, I should have noticed these things or I should have been able to sense the energies were off or whatever. So it was like my empath soul kind of trying to find a way to take their pain and to feel their pain. So I like literally, I like pulled up on the side and I parked and I remember calling my parents and being like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is too much for me. And I was like, I'm not going to take my life, but I want everyone to know how easily it could be right now. Like it could happen. It's like, I'm sitting with that thought of how easy it is. And that's scary to me. And so that was the first time that I ever said those words, like, this is very easy for me. Like I I could be gone tomorrow and granted I'm not going to, and I knew that, but it was like this, having that thought is a scary thought to have. And how easily that crept into you, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. unbeknownst and, and yeah. 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 So I made the conscious decision that day to immediately jump into therapy. So I sat um, out a trauma counselor and started doing some EMDR therapy and um, doing some like just weekly counseling and, you know, trying to figure out where I was at with my mental health and how I was going to be able to continue moving forward in my own grief journey and in my own healing, while also still being able to offer to the rest of my students the support that they need. Because when you're living in a small mountain town and you're on a college campus where everything impacts everyone to have three students die by suicide in one year rippled our community. Um, and so that was another fight that I had, like, how do I show up for myself while also being here for them? And I decided that I couldn't do that. Um, and so I ended up leaving my job and this is when I decided like, I need to be closer to my family. I need to be closer to my friends and I need a break from everything at that pressure. Yeah. I just need to chill for a while. So I quit my job and I moved back um, here and I basically was unemployed for nine months. And during that nine months time, I continued therapy, but I was also coping in terrible ways. You know, I was using sex, drugs, alcohol, you know, any possible way of feeling something other than pain that I could find. Um, and it was, uh, actually a night out that, uh, led me to getting into some trouble that led me to realize, okay, you've got to make some changes. (laughs) Um, so that's where I'm at today. I'm like starting the process of making my changes. Um, I have recently gone through some addictions, counseling and therapy, um, to kind of get my addictive personality and my poor choice of coping mechanisms, which are drugs and alcohol under control. Um, So I voluntarily put myself through some um, outpatient addictions therapy. Um, I was arrested for a DUI and that led me to, you know, take another break, another leave of absence from alcohol and drugs. Um, And I am now, like I said earlier, working in suicide prevention because I wanted to 
be able to share my story with other people who are experiencing similar things to what I felt in that snap moment where yeah. I felt it was so easy to take my own life. Um, so that's really where I'm at today is just kind of taking every day one step at a time. Um, you know, not putting too much pressure on myself, but also really wanting to share my story, really wanting to do this work and do the good work of saving people through sharing my experiences. Mm -hmm. Because I just think that in the world that we're living in today, people don't want to have these conversations. They don't want to have conversations, period. Period, yeah. And I believe that the only thing that's going to get us out of the mess that we are currently living in is by sharing our story and connecting yeah. with people and being humans because that's who we are. That's what we do. And we just yeah. need, we need love. We need acceptance. We need storytelling. And so that's what I'm doing. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's really where I'm at. Uh, I answer all of your questions. Of course. <laughs> then that and then stop. You know, I mean, but of course, and it's one of those things, like I shake my head every time that, you know, somebody says that, or like, there's an instance where you're like, man, like, you know, what is the, you know, the, the examples of like, you know, there's six steps to do this or things yeah, that 10 yeah. things you can do to, to cure, you know, this. And I'm like, there's a, there's a red flag right there. You know, I mean, you wouldn't do that. There's not anything you can do when it comes to your diet or, you know, exercise, it's definitely not something to do with your mental health. And I, I mean, I hate seeing yeah. that for people because it's like, it's not necessarily gonna ever go away. You need to help somebody manage that. Uh -huh. And like you mentioned, there's coping skills that are definitely unhealthy to do it. Um, but there are simple ones that we just, we jump past, you know, cause we want the quick fix and this is a hard fix to be able to uh -huh. so really share your fix. story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a show of strength and it's, I was always told that there are things that people want to know and people, things that people need to know. And the things that people need to know is very slim. But at the same time, it's, it should be enough that like gets it out of you and that you feel proud of what you shared and that it's going to at mm -hmm. least serve somebody else, but you know, at the same time serve you. And it sounds like, you know, that's what you you're finding is that no, I don't have to tell you every little detail. Maybe eventually I will, but here's this version that I, at least I, I am facing my own demons by saying it. And I feel like it's, it's now in front of me that I can do something about it versus like not saying anything at all. Um, no, I mean, I, I can, I can just in this past year, I mean, I can attest to like the, the impact that has, I mean, I, so I mm -hmm. mentioned I was a, a middle school teacher and I far removed from any of the kids that I taught. I mean, that was, you know, a totally different stage in their, their life. You know, it's not like a college professor yeah. or anything yeah. like you're an adult, but it had nothing to do with any of these kids. And one day, I think it was like the beginning of the year, um, my mom keeps in touch with like teachers that she used that she was teaching with that when we all taught at the same school and she texts me and says that this kid had had committed suicide and like instantly in my head i'm going back to when i had them in my class and mm -hmm. i saw things that you know were troubling for him and troubling for you know the people around him and yeah, I feel I did everything I could at the same time. You sit there in your head and you're like, man, what did I do wrong? And what could I have done else? And here's something you're, you're so detached of. So I can't even imagine 
they're sitting there in front of you every day yeah. and that gets ripped away. Um, no, I, I can completely empathize with you. Um, and I'm yeah, on many uh, levels. I, uh, my, the thing that's like interesting for me through all of this is people like to say, oh, I understand you're in pain. And I, my response is always, no, you don't. Because if you did understand, that means that you've been in my shoes and you've gone through what I've gone through. And if you truly have gone through this, I feel so terribly for you having lived through a very similar experience. And then is when you can say you understand. Yeah. Otherwise, say that you empathize with me. Yeah. Say that like... I'm, you know, I'm sending love. I'm sending vibes. I'm like, I understand that you're hurting, but I don't understand your pain. You don't. Those are like those, those sorts of things. Those. For me, it's like when people say to me, I get so triggered when people say to me that like they understand what I'm going through. I'm like, no, bitch, you don't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know, and I think I, to me though, like, I, like the next step of that phrase is. I, I, cause I'm like that too. No, you don't because you're not me. And that's a great thing that you're not, but that, that is like the first step to me that there's lots of work to do to help people understand that <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm not going to sit here in 30 minutes and, and understand you. Um, yeah. I can work to understand you if I truly want to, to be there and support and build and all those things. But I agree. I mean, when I hear something like that, but that's the thought that goes in my head. No, you don't. But are you willing to do the work to understand? Mm -hmm. And there's not, I mean, there's not a lot of people that are going to do that in your life and that no. you have to be okay with that. Um, so while speaking of, of, of walking away with and helping people understand, then what, what would you want people to walk away from and know that, that say that to you and we can leave it there that, okay, like, what, what, you know, what do, not even just for you, but what, what should people know yeah. that when they say that to somebody that I understand what, what do you want people to know? What should I want they know? people to know that everyone's experiences are different. Therefore, everyone's pain is different. Therefore, everyone's understanding is different. So when you say that you understand someone's pain, Think about your own experiences versus theirs. Think about your pain versus theirs. Think about how it has caused you to understand the life in which you're living and versus the way that they're living theirs because we all are just humans trying to survive and we don't necessarily need people to understand. We just need people to be okay with us all being not okay at times and okay at other times yeah. and differing in our grief journeys and in our healing journeys and in our pain journeys. So, I mean, all of that, I guess, being said, like wrapping it up in a bow, like just be willing to listen, be willing to hear someone else's pain, be willing to hear someone else's story and be willing to get vulnerable and share yours. Beautiful. Beautiful. Better data on mental health, sure, and on well-being and quality of life. But we're learning a great deal, and for me personally, I'm hopeful for the future. 
If you're concerned that your child is depressed or anxious, or if an adolescent talks about feeling overwhelmed, don't be afraid to ask them directly. Are you having any thoughts of suicide? You don't need to ask them every day, but if you're having any concerns, you gotta ask. Help is out there, and it works. There's such an increase in availability of virtual mental health services. Suicidality is partly not being able to see the future. If we can change that, we can see remarkable changes. Much as the hardships of the Great Depression and World War II forged what is known as the greatest generation, the challenges of this pandemic and the challenges that face our youth could strengthen today's young people. I think we're gonna have a generation of really remarkable resilient kids and teens who grew up to be really remarkable human beings as adults. Special thanks to Joel for opening up and showing strength and being vulnerable about such a tough and heavy topic within the mental health field. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with music by Chad Lawson. The stories are all yours. So if you've got a story you want to share, you can do so by heading to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. Thanks to you, most importantly, the listener, for tuning into this new show, What's Your Story, and helping me shed some much-needed light on mental illness. If there's something that you enjoyed about today's episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter or by leaving the show a review. I always like to know what I'm doing. Lastly, take a moment to sign up for the newsletter over on the website, fragilemoments.org. You'll get free mental health advice directly to your inbox. How cool is that? Take care of yourself out there and be sure to check in with your friends and family. I do mean all of them.